Welcome to Treasure Mountain, the podcast that inspires and guides people to find the treasure within human experience. I'm your host, Sol Hanna. In this episode of Sage Advice, we have as our guest Arjun Nasarano, who is coming to us from Newbury Monastery, which is just northwest of Melbourne, Australia. Arjun Nasarano was born in 1952 in Perth, Western Australia. In 1997, he was ordained by Arjun Brahm as a novice monk, and a year later took full ordination. This year will be his 25th range retreat. He lived in Sri Lanka from 2006 to 2019 for a total of 13 and a half years. During that time, he lived for eight years in a cave on the side of a mountain, surrounded by forest and going for arms round in the village below. He returned to Australia regularly to teach, primarily at the Buddhist Society of Victoria. In January 2021, he became the senior monk at Newbury Buddhist Monastery outside Melbourne, which is run by the Buddhist Society of Victoria. It's been a long time since I've spoken with Ajahn Nasarano, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with this humble monk who is a lover of quiet places. Ajahn Nasarano joins us on this episode of Sage Advice to discuss the topic, Our Most Urgent Task. I hope you will enjoy this episode and are inspired to focus your efforts to get the most out of life. Trisha Mountain, Arjun. How are you today? I'm excellent, thanks, Saul. And very, even more so to um, seeing you and catching up with you after a long time. So looking forward, looking forward well, to Well, I must say, Arjun, I haven't seen you for a long time and you look just exactly the same. All that meditation must be doing wonders for you. <laughs> Shaving the head helps. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is really great to have you here as well. And uh, I really have always appreciated your advice in the past. Um, and I'm looking forward to what you've got to say about this uh, topic, which I think is on the minds of many people. Yes, I think uh, the most urgent uh, task that we have uh, is a very important subject because by and large, we don't have much time to stop and reflect what do what's most important to us. What are the priorities in it? our lives, what is essential. Uh, and uh, because of that, because we don't have that time quite often, we are living lives that we perhaps uh, um, would prefer to not live the way we are. So it's, uh, it's very important that we can stop from time to time and reflect on what's really important in our lives. And in that connection, I'll just use this uh, verses from the um, Dhammapada, and it's from the Yamakawaga, the, uh, the chapter of the pairs. And I think it's very, I love this uh, quotation and it's been always been important in my life, my spiritual life, my monastic life too. Those who consider what is not essential to be essential and see what is essential as not essential, living in such fields of wrong intention, they don't realize the essential. 
Those who know the essential to be essential and what is not essential as not essential, living in such fields of right intention, they realise the, the essential. So that's a, that's some nice verses. And I think for everyone who hears those, they'll have their own take on it as to what is essential, essential in their lives. But one of the things I always say, and this is a very, something that's quite powerful in a way, is what is the most essential or important or urgent thing now for, for soul, mm. for, for those that are listening? What is the most important thing now? I think, uh, Jan, that's a really good way to kind of frame our discussion. Um, and uh, I really want to get to that question of what is the essential uh, that most important and urgent thing we need to do. But before we get to that, I'd like to kind of explore what is stopping us from getting there. Um, let's talk a little bit about the problem. I mean, people are so busy. How can we find the time to fit it all in? Uh, I know you mentioned earlier when we were uh, emailing to prepare for the interview, you said uh, that's what most people don't seem to have a lot of time uh and you know mm. we want to often develop ourselves spiritually but where do we find the time what do you think is going on here bante is it the modern world making us busy or is human nature has it always succumbed to busyness what do you think Aja? yes well actually i was that's what I was uh, getting to with that question that I started uh, with before. And uh, really, this busyness is not the problem. It's a symptom of the underlying problem. Ah, and that's what I was trying point. to get to with the question, actually, that I made before. And why are we so busy? Well, <laughs> it's because of what's going on in our minds. And uh, this is... Um, even if we are physically busy, we don't have to be mentally busy. And I realised this for, for myself when I joined the monastery because I, I felt like, oh, God, life's too busy, you know. And um, I thought, well, when I go to the monastery, you know, I, will, I won't be busy. And lo and behold, when I went to the monastery, I was still busy. And then it really <laughs> occurred to me, where is this busyness? And I realised it's inside me. <laughs> I have brought the busyness with me, and it will be with each of us, really, um, wherever we live, until we look at, you know, what is really essential, what's really important, realise that this is coming from within me, you know, this busyness, this uh, feeling of panic, this feeling like there's not enough time, you know, I can't do it as well as I'd like to do. Um, maybe I can't do it, those sorts of feelings. I was talking to a group about stress management recently and they're the sorts of things that come up when we're busy. And, of course, when we're busy too, it's very difficult to, um, to be present because we're, so, we're running so much on a uh, to-do list, aren't we? The to-do list is really driving us and that's very time-constrained as well. So we're, we're skipping the present moment and fast-forwarding through the future and in the process feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> so so that's what yeah, I would say. That is a profoundly good point. And uh, I have to say I recognise some of those symptoms in myself, like being driven by the to-do uh, list and so forth. Yeah. But the, the point that you made about 
the busyness emanating from the mind, I think, is a really, really powerful point that I think we need to focus on. Um, yeah. Do you think that it comes down to our priorities as well? I mean, you're a monk, you live in a monastery where stillness and peace are prioritized. And as you said, even in a monastery, you can feel busy. But what do you, most people living in society today appear to be prioritizing instead of peace and stillness? What do you think the priorities right. are and what should they be? Right. Um, well, I think, um, yes, the priorities, what should the priorities be? The priorities will always be what we think is important, what we think is essential, which is why I use that uh, verses, those verses that I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, and they, their priorities are always shaped by our views, actually, our views, our opinions, our beliefs. And believe it or not, we have a million views about everything, about the toothpaste, about the socks, about everything. It's amazing. Our lives are run by views. And so we have these views running our lives that make, give value to what we think is important. They, they actually, they make the to-do list as it were. But of course, you know, the, of course for people, the priorities are going to be really the world, the five sense world, the world that we're living in, making a living and all these things. And of course, that's that's absolutely essential. It's very, very important. And the other things that will drive people will be their relationships. Of course, work, as I mentioned, family, possessions, you know, praise, um, a status, and seeking pleasure in, in whatever form or shape they can get. Uh, so all these things are really driving us, uh, are driving most people. They're the priority. And this is why um, any spiritual path is really trying to turn us around, to look where all that is coming from. And of course, it's always coming from within us, as is the busyness, mm. uh, all these views, what we value, what we think is important. That's coming from us. That's the that's where all of this is uh, emanating from, and of course the the Buddha calls this you know the uh, uh, the worldly winds. The worldly winds. You know we're caught up with wanting to get, and this is what life is about for most people: getting as much as possible, and getting more even if you've got a lot, <laughs> and also you know getting uh, getting praise. You don't. Nobody wants blame. And also to have status. You want to be somebody. We all want to be somebody. We want to make a mark. We don't want to be a nobody. This is the worst thing in society these days. Oh, he's a nobody. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, we also uh, we want seeking pleasure as well, not, not pain. So mm. these worldly winds uh, are really what's driving us. That's sort of in a nutshell. What most people are focusing on, forgetting that, how we experience this world is all coming from in here. The wealthiest person in the world, if they're miserable inside, forget it. <laughs> it won't That's make right, any difference. Yeah. It won't make any difference. And the poorest person in the world, if they're happy at home, as I call it, inside, and they're happy uh, in their mind and heart, then no matter how poor they are, that won't, would be a quite a pleasant experience. It may be difficult but they will have a happiness that uh, 
um, comes from within. Because in the end, we are making the happiness that we find out in the world. Not everybody enjoys the same sights, smells, tastes and touches. Not everybody enjoys a cappuccino <laughs> or yeah. whatever. You know, so it's, it's, it's very obvious that it's coming from within us. It's coming from our conditioning, of course, you know, particular culture, particular time. That you, we will, if I was born in China, if I was born in Malaysia, like some of the monks here at Newbury, I think noodles fantastic in the morning. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that, especially the hot, spicy ones they like. <laughs> so <laughs> we realise where the world is coming from and we realise that, you know, yes, we can spend a lot of time out there in the world. We can try and fix that world out there. But really, the way we fix the world out there to a large extent, not completely, is by fixing what's inside, addressing what's inside, developing those qualities inside that will bring that inner happiness, that inner contentment and joy um, for us. And then wisdom as well, wisdom as well. So that's the, the long answer to that question. <laughs> oh, it was Sorry. an excellent answer. I did, and there's so many things that I wanted to uh, unpack. But one thing I did want to just pick up on was you said at the beginning that everything emanates from our views. And so the busyness emanates from our views. I actually had two questions I wanted to ask about that. The first one is the Eightfold Path starts with right view. So that really is the starting point. If we want to make change, we need, I guess, to uh, analyze our views. And in, in what way is our if my my views making me busy or making me stressed? Um, mm. Is that what you would say is a a good place to start? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Absolutely, right view is uh, is is the essential. Is essential. Absolutely. Um, I think a good place to start is actually the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, and that's right intention or right attitude, as I call it, because that is because we live our lives um, from an emotional point of view, really, due to feelings. It's run by feelings. We are the slaves of, of pleasant feeling, and we absolutely um, run away from a void, terrified of. Uh, painful feelings. And neutral feelings, who cares? That's what most people feel. <laughs> who cares? Doesn't make much difference. So it's very, it's much easier to see where we're coming from. This is a right intention. Are we coming from a mind that's trying to get and gain? And of course, this is not going to lead to happiness for ourselves. It's not oh. going to lead to focusing on the inner life. To me, this whole, whole we call it nakama, this whole idea of renunciation. Sometimes I heard this word for years and years and I thought, well, what is it all about? You know, it's a very sort of a, not a common word we use in English and especially in this society. But renunciation is really, it's, it's looking for happiness in the right place, inside. Looking for, uh, not looking for our, I call it pleasure in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching but looking for happiness inside. And, and as in, uh, the opposite of uh, getting and gaining, giving, letting go and giving. And also then the other qualities where we come from, being a good person, coming, being kind is very important, being a good person, moral person, and also being a person that doesn't hurt or harm oneself or others. 
So that's a much easier place to come from. But you're 100% right. Intention, right, uh, right view is driving right intention, is driving our lives. The reason we are so busy, <laughs> uh, the reason uh, we, we experience the world in whatever way we're experiencing it, whether it be with anxiety, fear, depression, um, excitement, <laughs> any of these sorts of things, is coming from a view that we're running on. And of course, the biggest view uh, in, in terms of our experience is the view of self, me, I, mine. And this mm. is why we're so busy because, you know, this self has got a big to-do list. It's, it's forever. The expectations are incredibly high, you know, and, and uh, we always, I always feel, you know, I never get halfway through the to-do list, but I think, well, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Not bad. But uh, so this view of a self is really is what driving all of us actually until the first stage of enlightenment when that view of an I, me and all that belongs to me is seen as for what it is. It's just a view. It's not a reality. Mm. And this is, this is the, for me, the essential for all of us and where we, we develop happiness in this world is touching base with reality. And this is what the Buddha is talking about when he's talking about a course, Anicca, impermanence, dukkha, suffering or, or unsatisfactoriness, not getting what you want. Or as Mick, uh, as Mick Jagger used to say, you can't just get <laughs> And I thought, yes. He also had a famous uh, line from another song that many years ago, most people won't know, I, I can't get no satisfaction. I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah. But the rest of the words probably belie a Buddhist uh, theme anyway. <laughs> you got the chorus well, right. Got the chorus right, yeah. That's all everybody remembers usually. <laughs> and the last aspect of reality that we need to get in touch with, and we suffer so, so much less if we do even understand it intellectually, is non-self. It's not a personal thing. And it's always been a process. This body, we can see that more often uh, uh, than seeing that the mind is also, which we appropriate, which we think belongs to us. And in the process, we suffer lots <laughs> because then we're busy. Then we've, we've got to control stuff. Then there are so many things that uh, are driven by the sense of who I am and what I want to be, what I want to get, what I own, what belongs to me, all that will keep us really busy. <laughs> I really want to follow up on that uh, point right there. Uh, you mentioned how, you know, the ego uh, always wants to get something. We're always trying to acquire, and that's part of the reason we're so busy. And often, and I found mm. this was true for myself when I started trying to practice the spiritual path, is mm. we come and we, it's almost like we're trying to add something onto our lives it's like I feel discontent. Oh, I'll mm. I'll go and learn how to meditate and I'll get happiness that way. Is that maybe mm. part of the problem? Do we really need to do the opposite and like start letting go of things or emptying out? What what are your thoughts on on that issue? Yeah, it's very natural for us when we come to the spiritual path. Uh, to any spiritual path really to think of it as a getting experience we're going to get something that will change everything will add on to what we have often 
um, it's like uh, we think we'll add the candles to the cake or whatever. We'll add on to it the experience, and that will be, you know, uh, that will bring us happiness and well-being. And of course, this is a, a very materialistic view, and uh, it's not surprising because this is what where we operate in daily life: getting and gaining. And of course, in uh, spiritual terms, I think many people have heard of that famous term, spiritual materialism, that came from uh, Chogyam Chumpa. And uh, it's very much how we operate from, we're going to get this, we're going to get that, and then this will make life um, happier. We meditate in a way that uh, is driven by this idea of getting and gaining. And in the process, of course, you, you see, although especially in uh, spiritual terms or in meditation, the more getting and gaining we have in mind, the more unsatisfactory the experience is going to be because we'll be disappointed. And, uh, and of course, it's pointing us in towards the fact that, yes, all this getting and gaining, all this wanting um, is actually not leading to my happiness. <laughs> it's actually making for more high expectations, for a lot more disappointment. In fact, the Buddha called it the second noble truth. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I've recently been giving uh, talks based on Ajahn Brahm's uh, phrase, second noble truth meditation that, you know, this is meditation coming from wanting to-do list, you know, ah, the, bucket, yes. the famous bucket list we want, you know, um, you want to get this insight, that insight, first jhana, second jhana, we want the, the stream entry, first stage of enlightenment, etc. <laughs> these bucket lists. And, of course, we have everything we need here inside. We've just got to let go of a lot more. The only thing the Buddha said that... Uh, blocks us primarily, um, particularly in meditation, but in life too, are the five hindrances or the uh, defilements in the mind. If we can lose them, no problem. And then uh, deep meditation, deep wisdom, and uh, much, much easier. They'll come quite naturally, actually, because then those obscurations, the things that make it difficult for us to see things as they are, will be gone. And that mm. reminds me of a phrase that uh, Ajahn Mudito discovered. It's a Jewish phrase, evidently, uh, from the Talmud, which I like very much. We don't, it's, it's not that we see things as they are. We see things as we are. Now, that's fantastic. Ah, that's powerful, that's yeah. That is so good. And I've been using it a lot. I, I really find it so, so useful. And it helps people to realise, yeah, the work really is inside, it's not out there. Of course, as I mentioned before, we have to make a living, we have got a body, and live in a material world, but the experience of that material world will depend on where we're coming from inside. Uh, and so that's where the happiness can come from and where our, our meaning can come from. Because that's the other um, aspect of uh, what is essential, what's the urgent task is to connect and uh, before we started this interview Sol mentioned that actually um, you know that uh, finding meaning and purpose when when you became a, a Buddhist I, I think connecting with that uh, was was a powerful um, uh, treasure to discover because it mm. is a treasure meaning and purpose drive our lives without meaning without purpose Wow, we think, well, what's it all about? Is there any point in going on? <laughs> Each day is a real drag and, and so on. So 
this medium purpose is not a small thing. And uh, one of the brilliant things that I, I, it's a lovely quote too, actually, from Viktor Frankl, you know, because everybody experiences in this life that it's, oh, it's not quite the way I'd like it to be. It's, it's the imperfections are always in our face. We can't quite get things perfect, whether it be our relationships, a job, um, our mind states, <laughs> what our bodies actually, mm. particularly, and all these things. But uh, we realise that, you know, this is the nature of it, that this difficulties. And Viktor Frankl, who wrote this wonderful book called Man's Search for Meaning, he, he really, he gave it a really, it was a good formula actually, actually. He said, suffering without meaning equals despair. And that's where mm. we're at, most people in this world are at. They think, oh, God, why is life like this? <laughs> it's mm. not giving me what I thought it would give me. And, uh, and in the end, uh, this lack of meaning just brings, brings them to a state of despair or um, uh, negativity of some depression uh, or uh, anger, you know, feeling like life shortchanged them. What, what was it all about? You know, what have I got into? <laughs> and often towards this feeling like, and this is a very common feeling, I just want to be out of it. Thank you. Finish. Nothing more after this, <laughs> which a lot of people do. Called annihilation, <laughs> but it's actually quite a common reaction to not having meaning or purpose in one's life. And those meanings and purposes, yeah, the spiritual path, and particularly Buddhism's got heaps of meaning and purpose. But for most people, it doesn't have to be even a grand meaning or purpose. And uh, that's what Viktor Frankl pointed out in his book, That Man's, Man's Search for Meaning. It can just be small things, living for our grandchildren, living for, um, to help somebody, you know, living for, often for our pets, <laughs> yep. you know, something yep. like that. Meaning and purpose is really crucial, essential for us. We are, we are beings driven by it. I see the kangaroos here. I don't think so much they are, which is just as well, because as I say to people, when they're standing in the rain here at Newbury Buddhist Monastery, standing in the snow, I don't think they think, the kangaroos think, I want to be on no. the Gold Coast. <laughs> they think like that. But we do. We do. And this yeah. is our daily life, you know. Yeah, so that's uh, so that's what's uh, my response to that. So yeah, that was really yeah. That's a really good point as well about how we compare about oh, I could be here, I could be this person, or and then we make ourselves more miserable. I think that's a uh, a very important point. But on the topic of purpose and meaning, I think that uh, I want to just drive straight towards the core question right now, uh, which is. You know, we have been born into this human existence. It's, we've got yeah. joys and sorrows, ups and downs, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, and it can be we get kicked around by it, and it can be pretty confusing sometimes. What would you say is our most urgent task? We've got limited time. What is our most urgent task in this life? Yes. What What is a, a urgent task? What's essential in this life? I think the the urgent task. Um, and it's also um, very beneficial, immediately beneficial, is to become a generous person, a good person, a kind person, a person that's not harming or hurting themselves, a person that's not out there for number one all the time. We've got to look after number one, yep, for sure. 
But the getting and gaining mind, believe it or not, I mean, it's, it is not a recipe for happiness, absolutely not. So that's number one before we go anywhere because immediately we are generous, we're happy actually. If we genuinely give from our hearts, we don't feel we're forced to give. If we feel we're forced to give, well, it takes a bit of the icing off the cake, as they say. But um, if we really give from the heart, that brings happiness. And if we are good in, in terms of, in Buddhist terms, we keep talk, or talk of that as in terms of five precepts, isn't it? Of not killing and not stealing, not having sexual misconduct, not lying and not taking alcohol and drugs. That, that's a recipe for happiness. Some people would say, oh, goodness me, there's no fun there. But the point of that is we feel good about ourselves. There's self-esteem there. I say if we want to live uh, in a drama, telling drama, whatever sort of drama, break the five precepts, great. You'll soon have it. Have a, yeah. an affair. You'll see <laughs> See how it destroys a relationship, how it can destroy families, how it can destroy lives. Any of these are real dynamite, actually. But these days, sexual misconduct is the, the biggie. It's actually interesting because that word, it was always a Buddhist word for me for many, many years. I've never heard anybody else use it. But now it's in the news all the time, isn't it? We hear mm. sexual misconduct. And that's a common phrase. And I th before I thought, well, only Buddhists use this word, really. <laughs> But so this is being a good person is, is a recipe for something we have to, it's our urgent task to really address ourselves to being a good person. And then the, the kind person, of course, this is uh, an aspect of right motivation, right attitude, uh, in right intention is, is very important. That kindness that we develop, um, we develop it. How do we develop it? We develop it by through our actions, what we do, we develop it through our speech, have kind speech. But of course, where it's coming from is the mind. So very important to recondition the mind with doing a lot or as much as possible of uh, kindness meditation, meta meditation. And this is so important because then this is, this is happiness here and now for us, actually. It's a very pleasant experience. And what really it points to is that we are program phenomena. We are conditioned phenomena. And you often hear Ajahn Brahm say, we're, you know, uh, he's brainwashing us. And it's good brainwashing, mm. or the good is brainwashing us. And that is true. And how do we brainwash? By repetition. What we repeat will become part of our, ha our habits, our character, our personality. So, you know, many, some people are pretty good at getting really angry and enraged and outraged or whatever. And because they've been doing it, practicing it quite a lot and so when, when we practice kindness meditation it reconditions our mind and the other aspect uh, i mentioned too is not harming that intention not to harm or hurt um, ourselves or others is so important and you know some people will say well i i don't hit anybody or you know, whatever but wow can we hurt people by what we say and that reminds me of the Buddha's uh, saying that we were all born with an axe in our mouth. And the axe is right. wow. this long speech. It's really powerful. I sometimes change it to chainsaw in our mouth, but an axe is pretty good. He really put mm. it very, very clearly. So that's that to me is the, the urgent task. 
And for the Buddha, and of course, you know, when he talked about uh, the essential, of course, it's going deeper, isn't it? It's going deeper. It's to really understand, you know, the unsatisfactory nature of our life, the imperfections of life, you know, uh, because once we connect with reality, once we understand the nature of reality, we don't feel like most people feel, I must have got it wrong. Um, I, you know, I, I'm lacking in something. You know, I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not whatever. But when one connects with reality, you realize, uh huh, oh, that's just the way it is, really. <laughs> that's part mm. of reality. Nothing, nothing personal, thank you very much. It's nothing personal. So this is uh, very important uh, when we. Uh, when we realize that, when we realize the nature of our existence. And the Buddha, he says, you know, of course, the first noble truth, this is unsatisfactoriness, this is suffering. And in life, we often get that. And what he say was uh, unsatisfactory, was uh, um, suffering. And of course, it's old age, sickness and death. I mean, nobody wants to dwell on those things. But and not getting what we want is a biggie and as is being associated with things and people we don't like and uh, being separated from those we do like but the very powerful one of his definition for the first noble truth is that it's the five um, personality factors i call them or groups personality group of uh, that are uh, based on clinging they are the problem and that's really saying to us that imperfection is built in. <laughs> so once yeah. we can once we can accept that, wow, that makes things a lot easier. And it gives rise to a lot of joy and happiness. He also said if we understand that, the, the nature of uh, dukkha or the nature of suffering, unsatisfactoriness, we will see all the other three noble truths, the rest of it, you know, the, the source of our difficulties, our problems, which nobody will believe is wanting, call it tanha or craving. Expectation is a great word for it. Um, mm. Discontent is, you know, uh, all these, these things that give us so much that we have to do. That's the slave driver, really. I call it, uh, Buddha has a nice phrase where I always mention it, tanha dasa, slaves of craving. That's what we are, believe it or not. <laughs> it's pushing yeah. us around all the That's time. That's a radical... Push that's a radical view because, I mean, in our modern Western society, we think, well, I've got all this freedom. You know, I can go yeah. out and I can do this and I can do that and, you know, I can travel, I can, you know, go and sleep with whoever I want and I can do this and that. Yeah. But actually, that's a form of slavery because, as you say, we're just slaves of desire. We don't have inner freedom. That's That's it. And uh, I think it's, as you know, Ajahn Brahm uses that wonderful phrase, this is, this is the, most people are looking for happiness or pleasure from the freedom of desire. So in other words, the more we have, the more possibility for fulfilling our, getting happiness, fulfilling our, all our desires. So the wealthiest person in the world is obviously set up in that idea to become very happy because they can have everything. But of course, we know that's not the case. So uh, it's uh, that freedom of desire is really as is the slave driver. And what I find very, very powerful for me is just that freedom from being driven by desire. 
freedom from um, being driven by anger and all these negative qualities, you know, because they push us to do and say things that later we think, God, why'd I say that? Why did I do that? You know, and when we when we really feel like we've been able to say no to these desires, then we can feel this sort of happiness, getting some independence, getting some freedom. So that's a way we can look at it. Otherwise, we will always be, you know, the slaves of desire. We'll always be at the um, uh, under the thumb of conditioning and advertising uh, that we are, you know, surrounded by. So this is a, this is nothing small when we can say no to this uh, desire to get stuff, this desire to be angry and say something or do something coming from an angry place, all those things. This is freedom and that freedom mm. is, is important for us. Yeah. I wanted to pick up on that point and something you said earlier, which was about um, be, being a good person and developing kindness meditation. Uh, on just a practical level, um, obviously one thing that people can do is to learn to do metta or loving kindness meditation, you know, in a formal sense, sitting down, closing your eyes mm. and reflecting on loving kindness. But given that many people are very busy uh, day to day, mm. would you offer some practical tips, just some little tips? You know, I'm I'm going to work today. I, I don't have time to do you know, sit down for half an hour, but is there something I could do which might mm. help me bring a little bit more kindness into my day? Right. Well, to bring more kindness into our day, we have to have it, don't we? And uh, the way we can do that, even short meditation is very useful for us to, um, to, to do, even if it's only five minutes or ten minutes just to connect with that kindness within ourselves. Sometimes it's easier if we use some something or someone who brings up kindness for us. I often use best friend, you know, being one's own best friend. You think of the qualities of best friend and you get this feeling of uh, coming up about what a best friend is and then I can connect with that and just stay with that for some time and then radiate it because this is one of the things with kindness meditation with loving kindness or I like kindness meditation or friendliness meditation is is actually sharing it too and then having a for instance uh, through the day just having a, as a project you know I'm going to say something nice to somebody today or do something nice you may even get more targeted i'm going to say something nice to that person who is a pain who is difficult <laughs> who i don't enjoy seeing you know projects like that that's how we can we're deliberately bringing in happiness bringing in kindness to the day we're making it our project our focus and that actually becomes part of our meaning too to, to take this in. And when we do that, I think that sometimes the results can be surprising because it can change things, actually. The, the interesting phenomena is when you try to change other people, it's nigh on impossible. <laughs> but when we change, they can change too. And so our relationships can change. So very well worth even this small amount of time 
you know, uh, most of us have time when we're, for instance, on the train or bus, if you're going to work or going somewhere, there are always these in-between moments, which are, as, as Ajahn Brahm calls them, and I like them, when we can just take time not not to spend on the device, that's what we usually do, <laughs> but to, to actually just develop these, you know, the kindness within, and then condition that conditions how we experience the day and how we speak and act as well, and to, to make it a deliberate, conscious uh, uh, process, something that, like a project almost, um, and then we can explore developing more of it. The more, we, more results we get, the more benefit we feel, of course, the more time we'll find. Uh, often um, that's the difficulty, is if we don't enjoy what we're doing, uh, we won't find the time for it. So very important. I I love that advice. That is brilliant mm -hmm. advice. I have to admit uh, that the idea of having a little project every day is brilliant. And that's something I've practiced myself or try to do every day. So I have a little thing where I try to just do something good every day or an act of generosity. But mm -hmm. I have to admit, one thing I've never, ever done is what you just suggested, which is to have a little project where you're going to say something nice to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never conscious. But I think it's brilliant advice. It's not that difficult to do, especially if you're starting out and you say, okay, well, mm. I'm going to say something nice to my my spouse or my children or you, yeah. that's an easy place to start and then work your way up to someone who you really can't stand. <laughs> and yes, that right. really is a good good test of how, how much kindness. you, you know, If you could be kind to someone who you don't like very much, that's mm. a sign of success in developing kindness. So I love I love that advice. But on a bigger scale, I, I, I mean, a lot of our listeners might also be nodding along, going, oh, this is good advice. Um, but obviously people are very busy as well. Mm. They may have that intention to, okay, reallocate their time, reallocate their priorities. Um, what, if, if we're going to start doing something bigger than just, you know, the, the advice you just gave about doing something small, like saying something nice to someone, great advice, mm very achievable. What if we wanted to do something a little bit more ambitious? Where's a good place to start in terms of um, wanting our focus to be on that which is essential? What's yes. a really good place to start? A good place to start? Or something more significant we might do? Yeah, good place to start is taking time to stop. <laughs> That's the best place where we can really reevaluate what we're doing um, with the uh, onslaught of busyness and all the, all that we mm. do in, in, because we're identified with that doing, isn't it? It's us doing it. We have to do it. That's how we feel. It's stopping is very, very important. Sometimes life will stop us. But why wait until we've got a divorce on our hands? Why wait until we've been sacked from the job? Why wait until we've found we've got terminal cancer? They stop us, for sure. They make us reevaluate. But they're really, they're really difficult times. And often people really grow from them, but it would, were, would be better if we were able to prepare or, or do it in a more gentle way to stop. And of course, the, as a spiritual practitioner, if you're a spiritual practitioner, the great place to stop um, in daily life, as I mentioned, is the waiting, uh, the, the times we have to wait. You know, we're on the train, we're on the bus, these sorts of things, these, these places. We're in waiting rooms. I use that in my meditation. 
I quite often think I'm in a waiting room and it puts me in a very good state of mind for just not thinking about the past and the future. I'm just here now, really. <laughs> and it's great. I find it very helpful. But we have other opportunities to stop and some of them are more structured, like meditation retreats, fantastic. Really, really good. I had, we've just finished the three months range retreat. Every year uh, the uh, Buddhist monks have and nuns have a three-month uh, rains retreat so it coincides with winter here in australia and of course the rainy season in india and i and during that period each monk and nun has a two-week personal retreat and i had one just recently i thought fantastic it was just great you just get off the rails completely <laughs> mm. not go off the rails in the worst side worst uh, <laughs> sense. usually that's what they say always gone off the rails hasn't but uh it's really good just to you know stop doing all those things that one has usually does and just have quiet time for oneself meditating uh, contemplating uh, studying those sorts of things and going for walks and, and whatnot so these, uh, these meditation retreats are a wonderful opportunity to really stop and they can be pivotal, change, changing, uh, they can change our direction in life because when we get um, more peaceful, more still, we realise, we get in touch with this intuitive sense of what I need to do. Yeah, this is what I need to do. And then sometimes we think, well, that's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> because it's not what we were doing before or it's such a big change. It's a real challenge. But that intuitive sense will give us the energy to drive change. And we know, yeah, this is right. Most other people won't think this is right or it's out of character or whatever it is. Um, but uh, this is where, when we get still, when we get peaceful, then real intuition, insight, into what we need to do, how we need to live our lives will become much more obvious. And sometimes uh, they're structured meditation retreats, but sometimes self-retreats, you know, because people are busy um, and they can go to a retreat centre or a monastery for a few days or a week or whatever, and they can have self-retreats and that can be very, very useful. Just being in nature is well worth it. <laughs> Mm. And I think this is this is a very good place for people to get in touch with the essential in nature um, so that, you know, this, the mind calms down when we're in nature, things become clearer when we're in nature. We, we feel more in tune with the reality, really. So, and just time on one's own is, is valuable too because we spend, we can spend so much time interacting with each other and uh, so that makes it difficult to, to be clear about what we need to do. So these are uh, just a, a few points on, uh, you know, what, where we can focus our attention so we see what's, what's really the urgent task, what is essential. So uh, that's, that can mm. be very helpful. Mm. I know. I love this. One... Yeah, go on. Go, yes. go on. Go on, Bante. Uh, you know, even even just cutting through a lot of the concepts we dwell in is a very useful thing. We're driven by so much thinking. It's just incredible. The descriptions of what's going on here and now are just incredible. That's why I was going to start the, the session with that question. What's the most important thing now? Absolutely for everyone that's watching or not watching, listening to this and for soul, for myself, what's the most important thing? The breath. 
the ah, breath. Yes. Who would ever think of that? Overlook Who would ever totally... think of that? Yeah. I, I should know better, shouldn't I? <laughs> it's just it's incredible. so true. It's, it is the most important thing. The urgent task for now is breathing. But uh, so that's, that is really one of the things, one of the essentials we don't get either is, and even um, because we think we've got plenty of it, is time. Time, You know, yes. most people, people think, oh, you know, plenty of time, no worries, you know, I'll do it later. And then they find there's almost 70 like I am. <laughs> You think, wow, yeah. later came pretty quick. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's very, very yeah. important to see that that is a really, when we say essential, it's of something that's valuable. When we say something's an urgent task, it's something valuable, so important. Able. And uh, so time is part of it, yeah. But the breath is a I, very good pointer. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant advice. And also just this brilliant quote that you've come up with, a great place to start the spiritual path is to stop and i guess yeah. stopping you know here and now <laughs> means being with the breath and i do i do, did want to ask this is a the final question i wanted to ask and it goes i guess uh, to a deeper level because i've asked quite a few questions about how to get started but is that our most urgent task ultimately to stop right is our most urgent task really to, to stop it it is, uh, it is actually um, a, our most urgent task, really, when you think of it, to stop, yeah, because uh, to stop going to the past and the future, for sure, just to be in the present moment, to stop with all that busyness. One of my favourite quotes from the, uh, the poems of the enlightened monks and nuns, where one of the quotes is that a fully enlightened person is like someone a work person who is waiting for their wages, they haven't got any busyness to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. All the business has gone out of their minds. So this is uh, so this this uh, stopping is is very important in our lives. Saying no to uh, all the de the desires, but saying no to desires uh, being pushed around by wanting, being pushed around by our expectations. You know, you always hear this phrase, don't you, lower your expectations. But really, when we can do that, just feeling that happiness of, wow, freedom, freedom, this is great. <laughs> this is mm. great. Because so much of it is stopping this, uh, you know, this proliferation, all the, all the concepts that are echoing in our minds constantly. And they, they sort of coagulate around this sense of me, <laughs> The sense of me, you know, all this, all these uh, concepts—they're like a constellation around me. And uh, when they stop, when we stop uh, proliferating like that, creating endless—it—it's uh, not something we're doing, by the way. It's something that happens when we realize the nature of this proliferation is non-self. It's driven by conditions. Conditioning—it's not me. No longer is it. You know, the central focus of that, the driving force of it is no longer the sense of ego. So when that happens, then proliferation goes. And of course, one of the descriptions the Buddha gives for the path is nipancha, without proliferation, without all this conceptual um, description, baggage, judgment, 
all that stuff, you know, about ourselves, the world, and all the comparisons <laughs> that we come up with, you know, um, all that stuff gone. Uh, and what's replaced is this deep, deep insight into reality, as it always has been. Nothing lasts. It's always been impermanent, uh, unpredictable, irregular, you could say, or um, and also it'll never be perfect and it's not self. And the worst, the best thing about it all, the stopping, is that it's great, great happiness. The Buddha, mm. it's a wonderful sutta where the Buddha talks about, it's quite, this is a really powerful sutta actually, I find it incredible, is uh, he says that uh, if somebody were offered this uh, bargain, this uh, contract or bargain really, the, contract here perhaps, that uh, they would be pierced with a hundred spears in the morning, at lunchtime, and in the evening. And they would live for a life of a hundred years. But if they agreed to have this happen, if the bargain would be that they would see the Four Noble Truths. And then the Buddha says, this would be a good bargain because the amount of suffering and difficulty they've been through uh, before this life being, is incalculable. And he said, but, this is the important bit, <laughs> that is not to say that seeing the Four Noble Truths, the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is not accompanied with suffering and lamentation and pain. He said, on the contrary, it is accompanied by joy and happiness. Only, he says, only joy and happiness. So this is an important thing to see. When we really see the nature of reality, it's not something we'll say, oh, my God, I wish I hadn't seen that. That's really wrecked my life. It will be something that transforms us and will make life. It will be a fulfillment, a culmination. It will be uh, ultimate happiness because then we realise for the first time in our lives, I didn't get it wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've been thinking I've got it wrong all the time and, it's, and the problem is me, you know. But this is the nature of reality like this. And uh, then we can relax and enjoy. And then we are not so busy. Then we don't have so much to do. Then we're like the work person waiting for their wages. We can relax, feed up. <laughs> so that's the, uh, that's the benefit of stopping. Stopping is, is very hard for us, very, very hard, because we have a momentum. You see that in meditation, don't you? You sit down to meditate and people... You know, it just it's like a train going through the mind, isn't it? And people say, I can't meditate. You know, it's just all thinking and, you know, remembering what happened today and planning what happened. And, and we you just you realise this is what I've been doing, you know, all day. And you realise not only all day, but all my days and half the night and mornings and so forth. So this is natural that this will play out and has to. So we have to have that patience and that kindness when we experience these really, it's sort of unpleasant in a way. And, you know, like for instance, when you're, we all have this, you hear a song or something, you know, and it just keeps playing in the mind. And even if you like the song initially, after a while you think, oh God, when will it finish? <laughs> you know, and, and that negativity doesn't help at all. You know, you just realize that it, it is a recording playing, it is programming playing, conditioning playing out. And if we have patience and kindness, it will finish by itself. We don't have to do anything. We can't. The more we try to do, the longer it'll go on that we'll experience the song playing again and again. 
So I hope that was a, wow. okay about stopping. <laughs> oh, Ardubante, that is uh, an excellent, excellent. I have to say, I think it's the advice I needed right now. So I really am personally very appreciative, and I'm sure that our listeners will be very appreciative as well. So thank you, Ajahn Nasarano, for taking the time to share your experience and wisdom with our listeners of Treasure Mountain. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Sadhu, sadhu. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us on this episode of Treasure Mountain with Ajahn Nasarano, a peaceful monk with a quiet determination to follow the Eightfold Path all the way. You can find out more about Ajahn Nasarano, including links to his teachings, as well as Newbury Monastery outside Melbourne, Australia, by following the links in the description below this episode. Also, you can find out more about Treasure Mountain Podcast by going to www.treasuremountain.info, the website where you can find out all our previous episodes and information about our guests. Also, on the treasuremountain.info website, you can click on the follow button and choose your podcast app and subscribe to this podcast from there, which will allow you to get notified when new episodes come out. And don't forget to tell your friends about Treasure Mountain too. I'll have more inspiring guests and topics in the coming weeks. And before I leave you for this episode, I wanted to let you know about a new podcast that I've just established called the Buddhist Wisdom Podcast. This podcast has narrations of the Buddhist teachings. If you've been wanting to read the original word of the Buddha, but you've been finding it too hard to find the time, receiving chapters in podcast form means you can listen to the word of the Buddha whilst you're on the go. It's basically a free audiobook. You can find the Buddha's Wisdom Podcast by searching for it on your favorite podcast app. Or you can go to www.thebuddhiswisdompodcast.stream to find the episodes and click on the subscribe button from there. Until next time, may you find the treasure within. <laughs>